Morning, everybody. How about those uh, matching girls right there? Huh? Was that, is that nice or what? Okay, great to see you. Thank you so much for uh, being here. We're starting to wind down our series, Find Your People. I want to show you a picture here on the screen. Uh, who knows what this is? You can look at any of our screens. Anybody know what that is? It's a what? Cat brush? Cat brush? Scrub brush? Dishes. So somebody does dishes in the room because they immediately recognize it as a dish brush. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, myself, which is going to really put me in a bad light. I hate to share this, but because it's so important for me to get across this point for God, I'm going to do it, even though it makes me look terrible. So when Krista and I first got married uh, a number of years ago, um, after the honeymoon was over, I mean, the honeymoon was over. I don't mean between the two of us. I mean, we uh, honeymooned uh, just off the coast of North Carolina in Bermuda. It was fantastic. We loved it. And then we came back to a place that you could not imagine. We lived in the tiniest apartment in the world. But on our first night uh, after dinner, Krista looked at me when dinner was over and she said, uh, do the dishes, right? Clean the dishes. And here's the part you're not going to like. Okay. So just prepare yourself. Some of you are going to gasp. I said these words and I wish I could take them back, but I can't. I said, I don't know how. Okay. <laughs> Yes, I know. That sounds terrible, but um, my mom, she did all the dishes. My mom, she did all the laundry and had to do laundry. Uh, mom did absolutely everything, and Krista went and complained to my mom about that situation. <laughs> and my mom responded back, yes, uh, he, uh, my father, his mother did the exact same thing. And Krista said, well, why did you repeat the process? What are you thinking about? Okay, now, here's what I learned, and here's the reason why I want you to see this brush right here. On the surface level, it is a dish brush. But I want to tell you at a deeper level, everybody, this is a tool to have a better marriage, okay? That's, that's what it is. So we see a dish brush, but if you want to really look deep, this is actually how you have a much better relationship with somebody. Now, I have here, you all know what this is? This is a Bible. This is a Bible. And on the surface, we might say, well, it's this or that or blah, blah, blah. But what we've been trying to say throughout this series is, is at a deeper level, it's how to have a better relationship, how to have better friendships, how to correct, you know, like relationships that have gone bad sometimes, which is what we're going to talk about today, toxic relationships. The main message here for most of my life, I thought that this was a roadmap about how to get to heaven and how to stay the heck out of you know where, right? But what I realized from all the words of Christ over and over, really that this is teaching us about how to have a great relationship, which is what I want to talk about today. Now, how do you use the Bible? Like, how actually do you use it? That's, that's the big thing. So we have a Bible. It's really big. It has lots of words in it. And you might be saying, yeah, John, I got it. It's a Bible. And okay, it's a relationship book. But how in the world do I actually use that text? I want to talk a little bit about that before we get into toxic relationships, okay? So I want to show you another image, and I want to talk about something that I wish I knew many, many years ago. So we've said this before, but there's a lot of chiasms. And what is a chiasm? I didn't think anything about a chiasm. I could care less about a chiasm in Bible college, seminary. I could absolutely care less until somebody finally said, well, when you figure out what the point of the chiasm is, the main point, that is what helps you to actually interpret what's going on. So the first five books of the Bible, why are we interested in the first five books of the Bible? Because Jesus says at the end of Luke, if you really, 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 really want to understand who I am, you have to start with the law. When he says law, he means the first five books the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, the main point is Leviticus chapter 16. That's the point. 
That's in synagogues. They would start with the book of Leviticus. We start mainly in the book of Genesis to start reading, but they would start in the book of Leviticus. You know what Leviticus 16 is all about? The main point of Leviticus 16, it's Yom Kippur, and the main point is entering into the presence of God. So the main point of the first five books of the Bible, the main point, the center point of the chiasm is to enter into a relationship with God. Now, if this is a chiasm, then Exodus and Numbers should have some mirroring to them, right? And they actually do. What's interesting, if you read Exodus and you read Numbers, you will see that Exodus actually ends with the tabernacle and Numbers begins with the tabernacle. In Exodus, they're wandering the wilderness and they're heading to a mountain called Sinai. In Numbers, they're wandering the wilderness and they're leaving a mountain called Sinai. Okay, uh, they, they're matching grumbling. So a lot of grumbling out in the wilderness, grumble, grumble, grumble. There's a lot of grumbling going, and there's matching grumbling stories. And then finally, the king of Egypt in the book of Exodus tries to kill the Israelites three times. And in the book of Numbers, the king of Moab tries to kill the Israelites how many times? Three times. So there's a matching. And I just never, ever, ever understood this, okay? So today, the reading was from Luke the big showdown with the devil in the desert. And the thing is this, we're going to eventually talk about, okay, you can't live on bread alone. We're going to get into that. But first we need to figure out why in the world is Jesus quoting Deuteronomy three times? Like why did he choose to quote the book of Deuteronomy three times? The la- Oh, there it's gone. The last book, right? The last book in those first five books of the Bible. Why did he do that? Because Deuteronomy is all about how to build strong, stable, healthy relationships or a healthy society. He quotes that. So everything is coming back to this relationship today. Now, how does the Bible communicate this information to us in a way that we can understand and then use it to actually have better relationships? And I want to say this, it communicates it in a very different way than we would today in a very, very different way. So I talked about chiasms a second ago. I mean, when's the last time you read chiastic literature? Like for me, never, like never. (laughs) I don't ever even think about that. Why why would I do that? Or when do you read something that has this constant repeating pattern to it? That's what the Bible has, repeating patterns or constant wordplays. Do you know in Hebrew, in those first five books of the Bible, that every letter in the Hebrew alphabet is given a number? Like there's numbers everywhere, everywhere. It's constant. I don't read literature like this. This is so really different for me. And so it's going to take, it's going to take something from us in order to actually understand what the Bible was talking about. And the first thing it's that for me, at least, right, been in church all my life. For me, what it's taken is a humble heart. I'm like, all of a sudden when I started, you know, reading this and trying to figure things out, I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't care about chiasms. And it's also going to take a really curious mind. You're going to have to want to know. This is where the Bible says, seek, 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 seek to understand. So this is what we want to talk about today. Now, I want to read to you a passage from Deuteronomy because the Bible is not random. And out of nowhere in Deuteronomy, the book we're talking about today, all of a sudden launches into this thing. Now you tell me if this inspires you, okay? If a man has two wives, one beloved and another hated. And they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated wife. And if the firstborn son 
be hers that was hated. You follow what's going on? Man's got two wives. A lot of people read this and say, oh, the Bible's endorsing polygamy. Actually, <laughs> it's every single case in the Bible where there's polygamy, it shows that it's an absolute disaster. Just FYI on that, okay? Absolute disaster. So is it endorsing it? Don't think so. Okay, then it shall be that when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. That's fantastic, isn't it? Does that inspire you? Does that, does that mean, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad that you gave us this totally random information that means absolutely nothing to me, right? So what are we supposed to do with this? So the Bible gives us repeating stories. So here's, here's something I want to tell you that's really important. All right, the Bible is not filled with random information, even though that seems like it. But what it is filled with is reminders, There's only one other time in the first five books of the Bible that we're told about a wife who is hated. There's only one, only one, only one. That and what I just read in Deuteronomy. Who is that? Jacob had two wives. One wife's name was Leah. She was hated by him. And the other's wife's name was Rachel. She was loved by him. And what it's saying is you should not do that. That is a disaster. Do not show, play favoritism over one over the other. So here's the big idea for today. Speak truth to love. Speak truth to love. Now, you might say, John, wait a minute. Time out. I've heard of speak truth to power. But what do you mean speak truth to love? I thought the same thing, and I was the one that wrote that. I'm like, <laughs> I was studying this passage, and I'm like, speak truth to love. I wrote it, and I said, what did you just write? I mean, that's ridiculous. Speak truth to power. By the way, speak truth to power. Has everybody heard of that? Has anybody heard speak truth to power before? No? Okay. All right. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, speak truth to power. It's an important thing, and we're all for it. It means nobody's above the law, right? It means nobody's above the law. Speak truth to power. That idea, where do you think that idea came from? Anyone want to venture a guess where that idea, speak truth to power, which we're like, yes, nobody's above the law. Nobody's it came right out of the Bible, okay? It came straight out of the Bible. So that's where it comes. But I don't want to talk about speak truth to power. I want to talk about speaking truth to love. Because what happens, that sounds so weird to say, but what happens when you don't speak truth, when you don't speak justice to love? What you have is a situation like Jacob and Leah and Rachel, which is heartbreaking. His whole families, their hearts were broken over this. What you have is favoritism. I want to show you a picture. You all tell me if you know whose picture it is on this screen. Does anybody know whose picture that is? Bernie Madoff. Okay, so I watched the Netflix series on Bernie Madoff. Just did it recently. And uh, I was fascinated because what Madoff did, which was kind of noble. Hang on a second. Which was seen kind of noble is he protected his sons and his family, his wife. Like he didn't want them to go to this floor in the, in the building where they were doing all these terrible things because he always wanted them to be protected. And when he finally gets arrested, he says, nobody knows anything. Well, how about the employees? No, nobody's anything. So he takes a hundred percent of the fall. And that seems kind of noble. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. He protects some people. Some of you have endured favoritism. Okay. Some of you have seen the worst side of it. What this guy does, and here's what they call him in the Netflix series, a serial financial killer. He would look 
people in the eyes. This is what they said, actually. He would look widows in the eyes and he would take their last dime and say, you can trust me. So what's the problem? Speak truth to love. He loved somebody, some people, his family or his close employees, and he treated others like trash and like injustice. And if we're not careful, if we just love some people but not other people, and this is where this whole thing we've been talking about, Elohim and Yahweh, Yahweh is the love side and Elohim's the power or justice side. Unless you speak truth to your love, you will show favoritism and you will treat people with terrible injustice. And that's what this guy did. He just raked people over the coals and he could care less about them. So this is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about speaking truth and love. Now, what Jesus is quoting is from Deuteronomy chapter six and Deuteronomy chapter eight. It's a sermon by Moses. And what's amazing is Moses, at the beginning of his life, were told, oh man, I'm not, a, I'm not a person of many words. And then all of a sudden, Deuteronomy is basically one long sermon. He preaches this massive sermon. So here's his first sermon, right? And, and it, it covers it in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want to read to you right in the middle of this sandwich, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Look what it says. And you tell me, what are we supposed to do with this? How do we take this Bible and make sense of it? Because this gives a lot of people fits and a lot of people say, I will not read the Bible because of something like this and I won't go to church because of something like this. So here's what it says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, so they're getting ready to cross into this promised land, where you're entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, I'm not going to read it, it's a bunch of ites, okay? Seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. Whoa. You should utterly destroy them. What are we supposed to do with utter destruction of people? Is that okay? I mean, you know, growing up in church and coming across passages like this and people say it's genocide and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of church people, you know, we take the Bible and like, oh yeah, but you know, you know, um, if God wants to kill people, then, you know, God can just kill people. But what about when it says that God says, you know, you shouldn't kill people? What, what do you do with that? Yeah, but this is God or whatever. I, I like this one. I like this one. God knew that those people, right, that all of them were wiped out, that they were going to grow up to be horrible people. And when people say that to me, I say, and you, you didn't grow up to be a horrible person? I mean, I, okay, so what are we supposed, my, my question is, what in the world if you're a Bible person, right? What are you supposed to do? If you, if you're brand new here today and like, I heard you're a church where people don't go to church and this is one of my problems with the church. What are we supposed to do with it given what I had just said in the opening about how actually do you handle this thing? How do you make sense of something that just seems so incredibly offensive? All right. Well, there's a big hint that's given to us. I stopped it in the middle of verse number two. This is a massive hint. And a lot of times we don't bother reading after it says totally destroy them. But this is what it goes on to say in verse number two. You shall make no covenant with them. You know, it's hard to make a covenant with a dead person. Don't make a covenant with them. Show them no favor. It's hard to show my favor to a dead person. Furthermore, you shouldn't marry them. Oh my gosh, what is this? Night of the living dead? I'm going to marry a dead person? Don't intermarry? What is God talking about here? Doesn't make sense, okay? You should not give them your daughters uh, to your sons, nor take their daughters for your sons. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love 
on you nor choose you because you were more in number than all the peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples and you got to say where did that come from we're talking about killing people and then we're talking about intermarriage and covenants and making deals and trading with people what am i supposed to do with this passage all right i want to show you five really important things from this passage maybe it'll help remember the bible's not filled with random information it's filled with reminders and it just keeps going over and over and over these reminders all the time it's going to help us a lot there are five things in this passage first of all in Intermarry, give and take. That's the give and the take of the sons in marriage, right? Favor, covenant, and small. Like you're really, really small people. Here's the interesting thing, everybody. Just like I said a moment ago, there's only one wife in the first five books of the Bible that is hated, right? It's only done two times, Deuteronomy and then Jacob with his wife, Leah. And it was terrible. It was terrible the way she went. And God's like, I don't like that. There's only one time that intermarriage and the way that it says in the Hebrew is actually brought up. There's only one other time in all the scriptures. Okay. Then these other factors that you find in Deuteronomy seven, I just read about destroying people utterly, right? The give and the take, the favor, the covenant, and a small people. It just so happens that the one other time that this one word is used, these factors also exist. Isn't that fascinating? Now, if it's a chiasm, the first place you're thinking is, well, could it possibly be, since this is Deuteronomy, could it possibly be in the book of Genesis? And the answer would be, Yes, Genesis 34. Now, I'm going to say to parents right now, I'm just going to watch my words really carefully, okay? Because some of our kids are in the room, so I'm not going to say everything, but I'm hoping you'll catch the drift of what happens in Genesis 34, and I would encourage you to go read it later. It's a horrible, horrible, it's not the hor- most horrible story. That's found in the book of Judges, but it's a, it's a fairly close second, okay? So it's, it's really, really bad. All right, so it's found in Genesis 34. Uh, Jacob, as I said, he's got a wife. He hates her. Her name is Leah. Right? He has a wife, Rachel. He loves her. Leah has all kinds of kids, like just lots of kids. One daughter, her name is Dinah. Over here with uh, Jacob and Rachel, it's just Joseph. And then later she dies after she gives birth to Benjamin. So for so long, it was just Joseph. So uh, he didn't really care, as I said, for Leah. And he doesn't really care for all those kids, right? And so that's what the Deuteronomy passage was talking about. He mistreats the family. He shows favoritism. And it just wreaks havoc to the family horribly. They move back into the land of Israel. So again, remember I said ites a few moments ago when I read Deuteronomy 7? Like all these ites, ites, ites. Okay, who do you think they're faced with? They're faced with ites everywhere. So they move back in the land of Israel. There's ites everywhere. And lo and behold, in this uh, town that they're living outside of, uh, a young man sees Dinah and brutally assaults her. Brutally assaults her. And then instead of letting her go back home afterwards, he just keeps her. And we're told that Jacob hears about it. And then ready for this, he says nothing. He does nothing. He says nothing. He remains quiet. The guy that brutally assaults Dinah decides after she's with him, well, hey, I think I'd like to marry her. Sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? I think I'd like to marry her. So he says, hey, dad, will you go with me? Let's talk to this guy, Jacob, living outside of our city here. And let's let's say, you know what? Let's intermarry. Let's make a covenant. Let's do all those things I talked about, right? That were on this list a minute ago. Let's do all those things, okay? So they go to him. And Jacob just sits there silently. Now, why would he be doing that? Would he do the same if it was Rachel, his loved wife? Would he do the same? No, he's not speaking truth to love. He's not speaking truth to love at all here, right? He's showing tremendous favoritism. And the Bible is like down on that idea, down on that idea. 
So they put on their, you know, full court press to Jacob. He's quiet. He says nothing. And then in walks Dinah's brothers who had been out in the field. They hear about it. It says they're furious. They're like ripping their hair out. Like, what are you doing? They're looking at their father and saying, what are you doing? This is our sister. Can you imagine their father? loved Rachel so much and hated Leah so much that he did not defend his own daughter? They're heartbroken. Like, what are you doing? So the brothers come up with their own scheme. They say, okay. To the man, I mean, think about this. You're going to let, you know, the daughter who's this terrible thing has happened to, you know, going to let her marry and, okay. But they come up with this scheme. They say, okay, we'll, we'll do this. We'll intermarry with you and Dinah can be your wife and everything. But everybody in your city has to be circumcised. So they say, okay, it's a good trade situation. A lot of money, not a lot of power, a lot of trading going on. Okay, marriages kind of solidify deals. That's the way it was done. They say, okay, cool, cool. So they all get, all the males in the city get circumcised. And then it says, I think it says on the third day when they were all just in pain so much, the brothers went in and they killed them all, okay? So Jacob hears about it and he gets so ticked off. And he says to them, you have brought trouble. And notice this, you have brought trouble on me. How could you do this? How could you do this? And here's the final statement that is made by the sons to their father. And there's something really wrong about this statement. Genesis 34, 31. Should he have treated our sister like that? I won't say it because I just won't say it right now. All right? I'll spare our kids. Should, should. Now, what's wrong with that statement? There's something very, very, very wrong with that statement. I'm going to ask our music team to come out while I wrap this up. We're going to sing a great song called Graves to Gardens, and they're going to help us out with that. But I want to explain just a a couple things about this. So what's wrong with that statement? Should he have treated our sister like this? Sister, shouldn't they have said, should he have treated your daughter like that? Everybody... We need to be loving. John, what could be wrong with love? Oh, love is great, but there can be a lot wrong with love if love is not tempered with justice. If love gives in to favoritism, it is really, really wrong. So I want you to look at Deuteronomy 7 this way. For something that we find so heinous, so terrible, so disgusting, a God of genocide. Actually, the truthful story, if you actually know how the Bible works, It doesn't work like the literature we write today. Literature we write today is not filled with repeating, repeating, repeating stories and word plays and patterns and chiasm. It just isn't. But you understand how it works. What this is telling us is, is God says that idea of allowing a young woman first to be hated and then to be assaulted and then not do anything about it, that idea needs to be killed. And that you should not, and maybe Jacob's doing this. Maybe he's like, okay, I'm not going to say a word because there's money to be had here. 
There's power to be had here. And God's saying, no, not for money, not for power, justice. You've got to do the right thing. And so we look, at, we look at stories like this and we're like, what are we supposed to do with that? And God is so terrible. And actually the whole time is God is saying, I am a God of justice. I am a God who says these ideas that destroy families and destroy relationships and destroy societies need to be killed. God is not telling them to kill all the ites when they go into the land. God is telling them that you need to kill these ideas that absolutely don't work. Now, some of us are in a relationship with people and we need to be very loving and we need to be very patient and we need to be very kind. But sometimes people hang on to ideas and all that toxic energy from those ideas spill into that relationship and spill into us. And sometimes we just go say, you know what? I got to back away. I got to back away from that. I can't have anything to do. I mean, that's toxic. That idea. I'm not going to kill you, right? But I'm going to walk away from that idea because that's not good. Some of us in this room are hanging on to bad ideas. We're hanging on. And we need God's help today. That's why the music team is going to sing Graves into Garden. We got to let go of the grave, the bad idea, and allow God to give us a beautiful garden instead because God's ideas are the best ideas. I love the way Jonathan Sachs says this. This is what he says. He says, weapons win wars, but it takes ideas to win the peace. Weapons win wars, but it takes ideas to win the peace. God has the best ideas. And as long as we know how this incredible book works, it will cause our relationships to be revived, to live, to get rid of all the toxic stuff that are in it. So our prayer team is going to be over there if you'd like anybody to pray with you. Uh, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this awesome song. Heavenly Father, thank you, God that you reveal to us the greatest ideas this world has ever seen. Lord, for every single person here in this room, if there's somebody or somebodies who are suffering from toxic stuff, ideas, God, I ask that you would help us to let that death go and instead receive your life in Christ's holy name. Amen.